Welcome to Melangela's Soul Garden Podcast, the platform that makes a change. We'll be helping you to navigate a new life, boost your potential, grow spiritually, enjoy nature's ways, reinvent a creative you and so much more. Hosted by Melangela. If you would like to be notified about new episodes, you can subscribe to my newsletter, where I also share some exclusive contents. There will be no spam, and if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe at any time. You can find the link to the newsletter in the description of the episode. Now, on with the show! Enjoy! Warm welcome from Melangela, hosting Melangela Soul Garden. And good morning to Canada, to Rusty Lihay. Thank you so much, Melangela, and good afternoon to you. It's your afternoon. It is actually right. Uh, (laughs) Tell you what, we've just had some snow this morning, and uh, it's beautiful. And I'm only sorry we cannot do the recording outdoors because it would make a nice scenery. (laughs) It's (laughs) so nice, but it's for two reasons. Too too cold and it's getting dark already here, so no good. I have had to hold a class outside while there's little bits of snow falling when I was Mm -hmm. at my son's recently. So So you do have snow too in Alberta. Yeah, we do. But we haven't had any real snow in the last little while. And so we Mm -hmm. went walking on New Year's Day, um, 15 kilometers on some trails outside of Edmonton. And there were lots of people snowshoeing, but not snowshoeing. I think we only saw a couple of people. Most people were cross-country skiing because the tracks were nice and and solid. uh, So it was good. As we are talking about enjoying snow, I just realized how throwing snowballs really turned into something horrible. I mean, in my days, when I was a child, we really loved, you know, just playing in the snow, making a snowman and sledging and also throwing snowballs. But does it have to be that extreme? I got to understand that some youngsters in the States even got shot at and eventually killed because they had uh, thrown snowballs at the passing cars and people, can you imagine that? It, it's it's just horrible, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, innocent things are not innocent anymore. That's so sad because it snow is, is such fun. I mean, if you don't like snow, you're going to be on a half, if you, and if you live in an area where there's snow, you know, eight months of the year or, or sometimes more, you're going to be unhappy eight months of the year or more. So we need to find those ways to enjoy some of those things and find that hmm, silver lining cliche hmm. in everything. We just need to find a place that agrees with us, I think. Right. Uh, now, Rusty has been my guest before. Uh, in my 10th episode, we touched on some very good topics, how to overcome horrible hurdles. And she explained some of the difficulties that she had in, in such a really playful way um, that, that amazed me. How is that possible at all? Mm. And um, I do invite you, dear listeners, to go back to this episode and listen to her because there's so much wisdom in her words. Uh, Also, when she explains how writing can be therapeutic 
and thus help, especially to people who like words, who like writing, uh, mm -hmm. to find solace in putting pen to paper and just uh, pouring their sadness and insecurity onto paper. I do believe that it's yeah. so healing. And I, one of my sayings is that the pen is mightier than the therapist. Mm. And that recently I heard uh, a talk from a woman, uh, a podcast, Dawn Richards, I think her name is, and it's about love or her show title is about love. But she was talking with someone about how the vibration of the pen on the paper is what releases the endorphins in our brain. And I, I need to find the science so I can quote the science, but I found that very intriguing and also very validating for what I'm saying about how the pen is mightier than the therapist. Mm -hmm. And I wrote myself through so many tough moments in life. I wrote a 40 page journey called the Odyssey of a Lump when I discovered a breast lump in 2000, 2003. That uh, there, there's lots of laughter in there because there was um, one part, like I, I formed a contentment circle and the contentment circle was my own little invention of uh, five or six friends and some of their partners that we were all foodies. We were all into healthy food, healthy living. And every night before a chemotherapy session, we would get together and have a potluck of all this amazing food. And we would laugh and laugh and laugh. And one of my friend's husbands, Scott, is so funny. He can make anyone laugh about anything. And, and, and so jumping ahead to the latter part of the story, when after when I was complaining, complaining in a good natured kind of way to my surgeon about how one nipple was higher than the other, because when they <laughs> removed the lump, it was like a breast lift, right? <laughs> and he said, oh, I can even that out. I said, are you crazy? I'm not going through surgery for something cosmetic. Not for a reason like that. No, but my friend Scott said, well, if you need any extra tissue to even things out, I got some extra in my butt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know stories like that myself. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a sign of a good friend and a sense of humor and laughter. If you have a hard time finding things to laugh about when you're going through something on your own, find one of those friends. You know, borrow somebody's husband like Margaret's husband, Scott, to make you laugh and, and bring that laughter into your life. Because laughter, writing, if writing isn't your jam, find what it is. Go to a comedy club, uh, go to laughter yoga. There is laughter yoga springing up all over the world. And so you get this amazing qualities of yoga and you get laughter. I think that'd be a great combination. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned writing, let us tell our audience again some of them will know of course but not not all of them rusty started writing early on um i think you got this trait probably after your mom yeah. uh she loved writing and uh, you started writing after your uh road tour to mexico wasn't it writing yes, to your pen friends yeah mm -hmm. so yep. i picked up pen pals all along the way and um, writing and my mother would tell me you know, like I, I would ask her, what do I write? I, I, I don't know what to write. And she would describe things about the farm. And, and, and she gave me those first tools of writing that creative writing instructors and that I do with my students and with my stage treat participants now about bringing in the feelings, the senses, the mm -hmm. sound, the taste, 
and all of your senses bring those in. And when we do that on the page, it is going to attract other people to what we're writing about. And then when we write about all of that and we pair it with the psychological, the philosophical components, the memoir components, we have something more than I was born, I went to school, I got this job, I married, I had three children. We get something more. When we get the details, when we get the sounds and the flavors and the aromas and the, the senses and the feelings, when we bring those into our story, and the reader always knows if we're holding something back. Isn't she amazing? And But listen up. I, I have something else to tell you. This beautiful lady was told by the principal that I mean, he or she, I don't know, advised her not to register um, at university for the reason of not being clever enough to pass some of the science exams. But tell you what, not only did she do that, she put herself on the dean's list and graduated with distinction. Now, isn't that something? I mean, um, to learn not, I, I wouldn't say learn, but you were courageous and clever enough in your special way to not listen to the words and to just go for life. Mm. You're, you're right. And yet there's more to it than that, because I think that resilience is a part of it. And it wasn't that I was clever enough. It was that I was stubborn enough stubborn. Mm. to go ahead them and wrong, do it, maybe? to do it anyway. And even while I was doing it anyway, I still didn't believe in myself. It took a very wise college student life counselor to, to parrot back to me, what kind of grades are you getting to really hear that I am smart. Now, what would happen if I actually did all the work ahead of time instead of just you know the night before, instead of just like opening a book and picking out a quote and making it work in an essay, I started doing the work, but it was a journey to get to that point. Now. Tom Bilyeu, who has an amazing YouTube um, channel, Impact Theory, he had on, um, well, he has on several guests that, that inspire me, but he often talks about how him and his wife, Lisa, do not want to have children because he knows that hardships and some of these wrongs that, that teachers do or some of these mistakes that we make as parents are what gives a person strength, resilience, and ability to really push in life and not just be a couch potato, have everything mm. handed to them, the saying of born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And so he doesn't want to have children because he doesn't believe that he would be able to let them experience some of these things in order to have a stronger character. And he believes that we do need to have some of these challenges to have a stronger character. So what is the difference between two twins, like uh, twins, and they both have the same abusive father and one ends up being abusive and on the street and one ends up being a philanthropist. Mm. It's choice, really, it is choice. They both had the same experiences. They both have the same intelligence levels. It's really about choice and what we do. That is where our power is, choosing to not be a victim and take out the word not, refusing to be a victim. And saying, I can be what I want to be. And it's never too late to be what I'm meant to be. Making choices. You mentioned that in our first interview. And 
you so brilliantly underlined that not making a choice is also making a choice. And that's horrible. Just being passive, staying in the toxic relationship or environment and doing nothing is unfortunately also a choice that you are making. Well, there were some tough choices along my journey too. When I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, I was shocked. How old were you at the time? I was 43. So I was young for it by statistic standards. I was eating organic foods 90% of the time. I was eating low fat was still one of the healthier things to do. A low sugar intake. I was exercising seven days a week with some yoga, some stretching. And then uh, three days a week, I was doing, um, well, five days a week. I was, no, it was, it was three days a week that I was doing workouts at the gym with um, upper body and leg strength. I was walking. I wasn't really exposed to much in the world. I was living a very sheltered life. And that was, I believe, the trigger that led to the breast cancer. I'm going to say something very controversial now. Is that all right? Absolutely right. I believe that breast cancer is a societally acceptable divorce and the ultimate suicide. Mm-hmm. Or you can say it the other way around, or the other way around, the ultimate divorce and the societally acceptable suicide. Because I needed to be out of that relationship that I was in. I had passively let him rule the roost in that I kept him comfortable to keep the peace because whenever I wanted to do something outside of the home there were and you know he was a good man he was a good man in many ways whenever I wanted to do something outside of the home he was stressed and and he was reclusive um and and needed his own sanctuary And, and when I wanted to have some people in in for dinner that only happened three times because just the discomfort I felt from his discomfort of having somebody in his space. So when I was diagnosed, total shock, but I totally believed in my body to be able to recover from this. I started doing research. I asked some people in my contentment circle to do some extra research when I couldn't do it all by myself. I probably read over 40 books, um, tons of research on the internet, And when I was told that I needed to do radiation, if I wanted to do only a lumpectomy, then I thought, well, no, no, because all of my research and all of my traditional Chinese medicine and my alternative healers, uh, chiropractor that was into alternative healing, my naturopath, my traditional Chinese medicine acupuncturist and herbalist, they all said that you can recover from chemotherapies if you've never had it. But radiation is a different thing. Radiation is something that is there to ease people's pain. It's really good if you're in the end stages of something and there's so much pain, it can give you a better quality of life doing those end stages. But they all felt that I didn't need it. The research that I read didn't need it. But being a person who questions and sometimes has a hard time trusting my own inner authority, I reached out to my whole broad circle and I said, does anybody know a radiation technologist, a radiation, a radiologist that is outside of our own Alberta healthcare system. Turns out that one of my professors, sister-in-law's sister-in-law in Colorado was um, a radiologist who had had breast cancer herself. I had to then fight for my files, my medical files and records mm. and say, I have a right to those. 
And then I, I copied them and sent them off to her. And she looked at it and she said, you don't need radiation. And I went, that's what I thought too. But in order to be able to have the lumpectomy, I <clears throat> lied. Mm. I lied to the surgeon on the day of surgery because mm. I had to sign the form saying that I was going to do radiation in order to have the lumpectomy. And so I lied on the day of surgery. And before surgery, I had to have the four little tattoo dots. So I have like, I, I have four tattoos, four tattoos, <laughs> one here, one on my belly and one on each side, just where the bra strap lies because they needed to have a measure to where they were going to aim the radiation beams. Mm. I call radiation the sunny side of the atom. And on the day of surgery, when I did that, I, I did it just totally clear conscience because this is my body. I'd done my research. I made my own choices. When I went back for the checkup to the surgeon, um, he said, so when's your first appointment? I said, I'm not doing radiation. He was livid to say it politely he was living and he said well this is my body and he said you're gonna die you're risking your life and went, no I'm, I'm fine so here we are 18 years later it'll be 18 years in June of this year I am still here and doing great good to hear that yeah. and you yeah. look it I mean you're just <laughs> thank, you. thank you thank you very much the other thing that I found out in all of my research was an amazing book by Ingrid Nyman, and her last name is N-A-I-M-A-N. She has a book called Cancer Salves, The Botanical Approach to Surgery. There's amazing recipes in there of different recipes to pull out different types of cancer for different areas of the body that will remove cancer without the scalpel, without anesthetic. Mm. It's a bit messy, but these recipes, when doctors were working with these in the 1950s, before radiation and chemotherapy became the thing, the salves and these different recipes would attack cancer cells in a petri dish, but do nothing to the normal cells. All of these ingredients were on your corner drugstore shelves available until chemotherapy and radiation became the dominant form of treatment. Mm. So it makes one wonder. Ingrid Nyman researched these recipes from all over the world, some from, um, oh my goodness, I can't remember her. Hildegard von Bingen, a saint named Saint Hildegard von Bingen. And she has amazing music. Go and listen to her music. There's amazing music from her uh, that she composed in the catacombs. She also kept recipes of saps. And so some of her recipes, I think she's from the 1200s. I'm not sure about that. I wish I'd remember right now, mm. but some of her recipes are in Ingrid Nyman's book. So Ingrid Nyman searched long and hard and put all these recipes together. So and I would, sorry to interrupt. I would imagine that we are talking herbal medicine here or yes, herbal. Yes, yeah. herbal, mm. definitely herbal. Mm. You know, like there's, um, I, I, the book is um, in storage right now because I haven't put everything back after traveling for a while. If I had known about that book before surgery, I would not have done surgery. I only found it out after. In my case, I was blessed with the whole lot, radiography and chemo, and I had two surgeries. It just was meant to be that way, but... Um, I have learned out that the scalpel and the medication as such are not 
critical when it comes to healing. Not in my case. It's if I, if only I knew back then what I what I know now. Exactly. But Very it was true. not meant. <laughs> I no. I had to expand in a different way. Apparently. <laughs> Yes, we all have our path and, and we're on that for a reason. I mean, there's the two most fantastic days are, are when you're born and when you figure out your why, your passion, why you're born. And those are amazing days. And if we're not searching for that amazing reason why we're born, I think that that's linked to the choice to, to be able to shorten those windows of regret or sadness or uh, how we've been touched by maybe unfortunate incidents when we can be on a path to choose our why that makes our life magical when we find our why it's even more magical so that's the choice that I think we all need to make coupled with refusing to be a victim refusing to be a victim of our own health or our bodies and looking at the mental emotional reasons why something comes up I think is an invitation to become our own healer and you, in our first interview, you mentioned your sister playing an important part in you taking that very critical first step in sort of uh, finding a new corner, a new angle uh, to look from, uh, to look to look onto your life. Mm -hmm. And despite of the two of you being pressed for time because you had to go someplace, she made <laughs> you sit down and do something. Can you please tell us again what it was? <laughs> oh, that is a good story, isn't it? I hate being late. It's one of the, the, the rare things in life where I'll actually say the word hate because I, it's a strong word, but I really despise being late for anything. She said, I've got the car, I've got the keys. We're not leaving until you sit down and write all the ways you were at fault in making your marriage fail. I said some not nice things back to her at that moment. She said, mm, we're not going until you do it. And so I grumbled and I sat down and I wrote. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do, to look at yourself that closely and to not allow yourself any blame and to also not be overcome with, with, with regret or shame when you do allow yourself to look at how I've been a part of every interaction in my life. And every interaction is put there for me to learn something mm. and learning. So now I do workshops specifically geared to that, to making peace with the past by writing compassion into the past, by doing specific exercises for how we can look at things with a different lens. We can invite healing into those past moments. There are some people that say it's never too late to have a happy childhood. I totally believe that because we can go back and we can do what my sister has for tools in her toolbox that she uses with people all the time. She guides them through a video process. Another person that I recently talked to was amazing. I, she was just absolutely so much fun that she was speaking about how we, our little recording machines from zero to seven. Well, my sister says that too, mm. and, but we don't have the video editing software then. And my sister does. She teaches people how to edit the videos that we recorded from zero to seven so that we can have that happy childhood, whatever age we're at now. 
-hmm. And part of it is just redoing those things. You can redo them with meditation, with imagination, with going back and choosing a different parent or a different sibling or a different teacher and, and playing it out like a movie with all the special effects that you want to imagine and really make it real in your mind. And my sister does this so well with her clients. She really needs to be on your show. She can do some of this. Oh, I'm looking forward to having her yes. for some time now. We, yes, we're going to get her on your show for sure. Right, thank you. Sure. But then through that one exercise that Virginia sat me down and made me do, I then developed all these other exercises that I'm going to be doing in future workshops that have worked so well in the past. I'm also adding something, Mila Angela, that I just had the idea of this morning, thanks to you, is that I am going to be offering uh, once a month or once every two months, I haven't quite decided yet, workshops for those people who have dealt with cancer in some way and be able to uh, do some of these exercises. I'm going to apply them from the way that I've done them into that specific experience. And also some of the ways that I have written about my own cancer experience. I have over 3000 poems and a lot of them are from that year's experience of dealing with cancer. And then also then the process of leaving the relationship that I realized was a large part of how cancer visited me was it was a call to, to come back to myself because he was so reclusive. And when we did the contentment circles, he was so afraid when I was diagnosed with cancer, he was the one that cried. Mm. I didn't, he, he was breaking down with his fear and his love for me. I mean, I never doubted his love for me, but having to live life his way so that he was comfortable was a slow death for all that was natural in me. So then when we formed the contentment circles, he did everything that was good for me for going through the cancer. And it was so hard on him. It was so, so hard on him. And then one of the very last things that we did in the alternative scheme after the chemotherapy was done was go to a Qigong weekend workshop. And he was not, he, he had also a belief that we needed to do everything together, a 24 seven type seamless relationship. He loved to quote about Paul McCartney and his wife, Linda, were only ever apart when Linda was in the hospital. His parents had this kind of relationship too. And it looked really good. I mean, they had, were coming up to their 47th anniversary when I first got together with this man. And their intimacy looked wonderful. And for somebody that grew up with a dysfunctional home and not having great examples of intimacy and togetherness and couples and having failed at relationships before, it looked very good to this little gosling that I am that imprints so easily on, on love and being afraid of abandonment at that time and of rejection. It looked absolutely wonderful. And it was for a while. Mm. So when we went to this weekend and he insisted on coming along, it was so very difficult for him to be physical, to move his body, to, to do these things in a public environment that he was just, um, more worn down by the end of that weekend. And I was energized and invigorated and loved being with the people. And I was grieving now the loss, the contentment circles weren't happening anymore. And I was, you know, losing all that, that, that regular connection with the outside world. 
and it was slowly sliding back into the way that he needed things for his comfort now that I was okay. And he was especially assured by this one test that people might be interested out there. There's a place in Boston that does an anti-malignant anti-serum test, AMAS test, that will take a blood sample. You have to go and have it specially drawn, specially centrifuged in a backwards kind of way. I don't remember all the details. It was a while ago. And then sent off on a on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, not on a weekend where a long weekend is coming up by Federal Express or whatever overnight thing with dry ice. And they would test it. And my test came back as if I'd never had cancer before. Not a lot of people know about this test. And I did a lot of detoxing after the chemotherapy. So that gave him extra assurance that all was well, we could go back to his kind of normal. So after this weekend of Qigong, and I was just so not prepared to sit on the couch with him moping and so stressed that he'd been out in the public world that I just, I insisted that we go out for a walk because at least that was better than sitting still. And on that walk, he said, when we get out of the city, when we get off the grid, we're not going to give our forwarding address to anybody. And I just, I froze. Mm, I would imagine. I yeah. froze like, you know, a, a prey animal freezes when they're caught in the, you know, the scent and the, the hunt of a predator. Um, I just like, I can't do that. I, I, I woke up then and I started emailing two friends from an anonymous account every morning to keep myself awake. Because when a relationship is too good to leave and too bad to stay, a woman is caught in this, this, this land of, of, does she stay conscious and, and, and watch and make the tough decision of one way or the other? Does she stay in limbo, which is no good at all? Or does she leave? And, and I needed those two friends to stay conscious, to talk about the good things. And I needed those two friends. Great thanks to DG Ratzliff and Kathleen Sutherland for being there, for not ever judging, for supporting me, whether I stayed or whether I went, because women sometimes have a tendency to man bash and even though Kathy had some issues in her marriage it was a good marriage DG was single but they both could just hear me and just listen and just be there for me and it all came to a head when then because the diagnosis was June 2003 in May of 2005 and I can't tell you how many times the universe has landed something in my lap in May to make a big change, make a huge change. May is your my month. Yeah, May is my month. May of 2005, my mother died. I hadn't seen my mother except for once in almost 10 years. I had been cut off from my lovely sister, Virginia, for that time period as well largely due to the man that I was living with because his own family were too much energy drained for him sometimes. And so using little things from my past to um, make subtle comments that kind of guided me into needing to cut off from them and my mother telling me to keep my mouth shut or because I was destroying someone's marriage and my sister uh, saying something to me that triggered my mother's brainwashing me when I was 10 years old. Don't trust her. She'll convert you. Don't trust her. She'll convert you. 
all of that and, and other subtle little things along the way gave this man the, the, the words that I don't think he consciously used because I really think it was just that he was just really reclusive and needed his own space so much and that he was also protective of his face, but protective of me, that all of this got mixed up into a need to protect me. And because I was afraid of abandonment and rejection, I allowed it. Let's keep mm -hmm. that in the forefront. I allowed this. He's not a bad man. He's a good man. I allowed it. I allowed Pat it. Yeah. The pattern was not broken. The pattern of abuse and uh basically the toxic environment just repeated its, itself uh, mm -hmm, in your marriage years as well. Mm -hmm. Because he was very similar to my mother. And so I look at this as a gift from the universe to help me for once and for all be able to accept my mother as she was, although that came too late. And then out of some stupid resentment um, and, and promise, um, false um, uh, something that I still haven't, I, I've got it in words in my writing, but right now I'm stumbling for the words to explain how I had promised that I wasn't going to go to my mother's funeral because why would I go to my mother's funeral when she was part of the abuse by denying it? And so I missed my mother's internment to keep him comfortable, to honor that promise I'd made to him, but not really ever to myself. But I got together with my sister to have our own farewell. And I am ever so grateful that she did not hold it against me that I hadn't been talking to her for these almost a decade, these years. And she said, yes. I'd given up my car about five or six years earlier. And so I've, if I've, I couldn't walk or bike or bus to something, then I, I just didn't go, but I chose this trail that was outside of Edmonton. And there was occasionally, there was this one outing that I, I kind of had to fight for because they said, I, I need to go to a poetry group because just like you need an extra spot in the gym to help you lift weights, I need a group to help me, uh, you know, put words on the page and, and make my writing better. And I, I fought for that and I fought for that and I fought for that. And even every time I went to the writing group where sometimes I had to borrow his parents' car because his truck was never, never available. I couldn't drive the truck. Um, that I would borrow his car then occasionally for that. That was the one thing that I did that was separate from him other than, than I had some uh, work where I did some writing and admin for a goldsmith. When I wanted to go meet my sister, for this outing, I, I think that um, him and his parents were, were starting to feel that I was starting to spread my wings. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to keep everything like so tight. And they said, well, why don't you invite your sister here for tea instead? And I don't know where it came from because I usually don't think of the right thing to say until days after. Mm -hmm. And then, it, you know, if it's a joke, it's just cheesy. If it's a comeback from somebody teasing, it's just cheesy. But in that moment, I don't know where I grew a spine, but I did. And I said, if you're not comfortable with me taking the car, I'll rent one. And they backpedaled so fast because they must have seen or experienced how tightly they were holding, 
how tightly they were holding on. I think they all made space for me in their lives and their reclusive little quiet lives because they wanted to hitch a ride on my butterfly wings, but they just couldn't. The democracy of the three of them being comfortable with a quiet ritualistic life uh, just won out partly because I kept the peace, partly because I blended and merged, partly because I, I loved being loved unconditionally. That mm -hmm. was, and near the end of that relationship, I was so angry, volatile towards his mother. Because if she hadn't set up that kind of relationship with her husband, she needed other women friendships so much that I started to feel drained by her and her son. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, 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 and I used to treasure her hugs. I wrote a poem about her bone deep hugs, how wonderful they were. When and near the end, I would like put a barrier between me and her. I would kind of run and hide from her when she was coming down the stairs because we lived in the basement suite of their house. He'd never moved away from, from them. And the beginning of our relationship, when he was coming to visit me, he would like cry and be so stressed that he wasn't in his own home where his own routines were. So at the end, when she would come to hug me, and I didn't understand why I was so angry. I only understood it later after I left. After I left, I realized that if she had gotten some of her friendship needs met outside of the marriage, he wouldn't have had that example to say, this is the only way to do relationships. Mm. The smartest men, Angela, the smartest men allow and support and facilitate and invite and make it possible for their women to go out and have friendships with their other women. Right. They make it possible. They insist even. It's so important that we have our other friendships. We figure out things about ourselves. We bring things back. The richest relationships have things where they can go separate ways and they can come back together, come together. And, share, mm. and share those learned experiences that they learned outside of the relationship and they make the relationship bigger and richer. And these are, these are just such, such wise words and such an incredible piece of advice because you see, for some time early on, I used to be a bit like that. I mean, I used to be different in, in that, that I just, I was so much in love with my husband early on that I just did not want to go anywhere. I was waiting for him to come from work so that we could have this hour or two or three together and I said no to my friends when they invited me over for a cup of tea or coffee. Later on, I realized how wrong I was in doing so. But at the time being, I just needed this person who would love me dearly as he did. Um, and I got blind. And thank you so much for stressing out how important it is to have a loving family, absolutely, but also very beautiful relationship outside that as well yeah. to enrich really to make you a better person a, a wiser person mm. i am just thinking about people rusty who may find themselves themselves now with this diagnosis maybe that they have this serious illness and they are lost whether to go the conventional path or whether to 
try and find something in the alternative area or whether to combine the two, who to trust. So what would you advise them to do? Mm. Oh, that is a big answer. So let's I launch know. into that. It's a mm. big, big, long answer. For me, I've always been a bit alternative minded. And my mother wasn't much for doctors. And after her first two children were sick after vaccination, she didn't vaccinate the rest of us. So that's a bit of the environment that I grew up in. So that has a lot to do with who I am and how I make decisions. Dr. Bernie Siegel in his book, either Love Medicine and Miracles or Faith, Peace and Healing says, if someone believes with every cell in their body that peanut butter will cure them of cancer, it will. There's Bruce Lipton that mm. talked about the biology of belief, of belief yeah. and how we believe things. Then there's Gabra Maté that was the hugest influence for me in that every emotion and thought is a biological, chemical, physical event. His book, When the Body Says No, The Hidden Cost of Stress, every chapter is about a different disease and the personalities that go along with that disease. And it's amazing to look at them. My brother died of Lou Gehrig's way too early. And the, the people, the lab technicians and stuff in the story that Gabra Maté says are, um, are saying, oh, this person is nice enough. Their, their diagnosis will come back positive. Oh, not nice enough. No, it's not Lou Gehrig's. My brother was definitely terminally nice. He, nice. he died way too young. I mean, he was a long distance trucker and he would phone his wife and say, put an extra plate on the table and he'd bring somebody home to feed them and house them until they got back in their feet type thing. He was that kind of person. <laughs> when I read the breast cancer chapter, I was stunned. It's the good girl disease. I, you know, never talked back to my mother and never gave her, you know, any flack, um, never stayed out, never skipped school. Um, and then I repeated those kinds of things in a different way in a loving relationship in the, you know, in the, the marital type relationship with the man I was with. So when I was then doing all the research about the alternative, I thought, I'm going to do it all. I mean, I'm, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to decide what's right for me. And I really believe that every person has to decide what's right for them. For some, the conventional way is the right way all the way to the bank. Just like right now, we're polarized about the vaccine with COVID. Some people are definitely vaccine and are horrified that I'm not going to do it. I respect where they're at. Because again, I think it's the biology of belief that's playing here. Mm -hmm. Is that if you believe that, and I think the people that are having the adverse reactions to the COVID vaccine are the people that are doing it because they're afraid, not necessarily because they believe in it, but they're afraid they don't know what to believe. And, and so when you don't totally believe in it, and, and there's no science behind this. This is only my poor little uneducated opinion. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a medical practitioner at all. I just know my own story and I know my own philosophies and and so the other thing that I tell people if they're diagnosed with cancer is that cancer is a bit like a, a slot machine, a Las Vegas machine disease. And so is the cure. So, you know, the strawberries, when you get the row of strawberries and, and that's like a win and you, you know, pull that one arm banded down in the Las Vegas slot machine and, and you win big. Well, strawberries are top antioxidant. So add as many strawberries to your life as possible while you take away as many bullets or risk factors as possible. So remove all electronics from your bedroom. 
that's pretty easy. Get used to not having electronics in your bedroom. Don't take your phone to bed. Hmm. Uh, it, it's such a pivotal one. Um, I have a solar powered light that then every morning I go and I put in the sun. And then at night when I want to read, I can put it by my bedside and, and read. <laughs> and when the solar battery dies, that's the end of my reading at night time. Sign for like, you to like, <laughs> call it the night. <laughs> go to sleep. Um, remove, you know, chemicals from your home for cleaning. Look into, there's several different ways to clean with natural materials these days. Like there's pink stuff. Even Costco, I think, sells pink stuff. Mm. It's amazing stuff. Uh, it's called pink stuff. It's pink and it's stuff. Um, there's Norwex that has cleaning cloths that, are, that have got colloidal silver or silver in it. And silver is known for healing. I mean, in the times of the, the plague, the rich people eating out of silver, a milk didn't sour as quickly when it was in silver. The, there's there's things that are science that we've forgotten or that we've been burying them because the pharmaceutical companies have so much influence. Choose what is right for you. Uh, now, for me, surgery would not be right. I would go and I would look to create these recipes and I would do things my own way. I also believe that I'm cancer-free for the rest of my life because I'm taking care of myself mentally and emotionally no resentment. If you're going to choose over resentment or guilt, choose guilt because guilt you get over with. Resentment is something that I believe causes disease. I resented myself and I resented the man that I was with for closing down my life. But resentment is quiet, insidious, and sneaky. Mm. So basically really we are talking emotions here uh, mm. rather than anything else being the reason and probably also the final, the last trigger that um, gets us ill. In your case, it was divorce uh, and, and marriage. In my case, it was another relationship. So, but it's always emotional things. We get caught in this tricky web and we cannot find the way out of it um, for some reason. For as long as we are willing to open our eyes to alternative alternative things and to the wise words from people around us. Yeah. I just remember how at a certain point I just, you know, was not willing to listen to anyone. I, okay, they were, they were coming on strong on me. Um, everyone wanted to give a piece of advice and, you know, you get eventually get sick and tired of it, especially so if it doesn't agree with you, with who you are, with the path you're walking. But slowly you grow in that respect as well and you change. And when you change, you expand and wonderful things happen that before just seemed impossible. Exactly, exactly. And I, I want to mention too, that for anyone that asks, I'm happy to send it to you, you can share it with your audience, post it on your website or your page. I have a resource list of every book that was really meaningful to me when I was going through cancer. Resource list and talking about what kind of mattresses to get that off gas the least, um, how to do things in your home that are less toxic. Uh, it's about six or seven pages in it, table form, and so there might be the name of the book or the name of the speaker and then a little tiny bit of what made their book meaningful to me. 
And um, it's, it's full of resources and things like that that I thought were really important. And I'm happy to share that. Thank you for saying that, because I was going to ask you, you mentioned already so many books, and I would really love to have some of the titles so that I can put them down for our audience. All right, I will do that. Right. Um, we have covered quite a lot. Uh, the reasons why um, and then the con conventional medicine and the alternative ways. I still remember, though, this question when I, when I received the, the diagnosis, I was just lost for words and at a complete shock. Now, why do you think uh, people get ill? Mm. Trauma in our lives. There's a, an amazing physician, Dr. Johann Hammer, who created a field of study called German New Medicine. Now, of course, if you go searching for him, you're going to find a lot of people blacklisting and, and calling it down and, and naming it garbage or rubbish. My sister and her colleague have, have taken some of the courses and my sister's colleague, Valerie Blair, who does long distance sessions over the internet or Zoom or Skype, uses German New Medicine and has taken the advanced training. What it is, is that past traumas will lay tracks down on our brain that then will initiate disease at an anniversary trigger. I'm giving the barest bones of explanation for it. But Dr. Johan Hammer, his son was murdered by a prince and on the anniversary of the death and the anniversary of uh, or his son's birthday, he would have medical events happening with his testicles. And it would go away. Um, I might not be having the story exactly right, but that is where, the, where it originated. He started studying this. And then the more and more and more he studied it, he could then take other doctors, patients, and look at the brain scans of those patients and tell the doctor exactly what was wrong with the patient based on the brain scan. The brain is amazing, amazing, undiscovered frontier. Dr. Daniel Amen in his Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, Dr. Norman Doidge in The Brain That Changes Itself, and Dr. Johan Hammer, I mean, study those men and their writings, and you will be amazed at what you find out about the causes, the diseases, and the ways to heal illnesses and maladies in our life by tapping into the power of the brain. There's another book by Barbara Hoverman Debean that's on my list because I read that one years ago. It's that your body believes every word you say. Mm -hmm. If it believes every word you say, what are we doing? How much power do we have? I think it's untapped. I think it really is the unknown. And I think we also need to mention the role of the heart. And Greg Braden also talks about this yeah. connection and how clever and brilliant our heart is I think it takes I'm not very good with numbers but I think it takes I don't know 30 seconds or so for the heart to know whether to be uh, friends with someone or not uh, it knows the you know and it goes a long a long way back to the times when this human being seeing the cave was figuring out whether to go in the cave or not 
And then the heart went searching for him and said, uh-uh, no good. There's a lion in there. Beware. So it's the card is very clever. And mm. I was just thinking, you know, what, what is really going on when you fall in love? <laughs> I'm very romantic. And I thought, oh, but it's actually basically down to physics and chemistry for crying out loud. It's the heart <laughs> and it's the electromagnetic waves going yeah. out to this man and coming back to me and they're happy. <laughs> so this is what's going on. And it's, you know, um, so what I'm saying is the, the connection between the heart, which is also very clever. And then of course the mind and the conversation mm -hmm. these two are having, all of it is important and unfortunately hidden to us. Mm -hmm. Unless we, I don't yeah. know. When I say open your heart, I not I, I don't mean to get vulnerable in that very sense, but to allow your heart to do some of the jobs for you. Mm -hmm. Because they know, but because it, it knows how to, yes. the way I understand it at least. I may be wrong, but this is how I see things. <laughs> oh. All right, uh, Rusty. Maybe your last words to our listeners. Oh, my last words mindset is everything and it is the one area where you have the control if you choose to exert it when i decided that i was leaving that relationship it was the day that i was going to get together with both my sisters we were each 10 years apart so we each knew a different generation of people that my mother had gathered along the way. And my mother had all these photos and we didn't want to keep photos that didn't belong in our family. So we were getting together. And the days before my partner was, was nervous and anxious. And are you sure they're safe? Are, are you sure, you know, why can't I go? Um, because I just need to be with my sisters. You'll hang around, you'll hover. And then to keep him comfortable with that planning, I said, well, I, I built it in so that any one of us can cancel for any reason. When he asked me to cancel that morning to go for a walk so that we could talk, knowing that I, I liked walking better than being in the cave, we called it, you know, the cave, the basement suite. I, something just absolutely flipped me and I knew, I knew, and I decided that that was the day that I was leaving. And so during his half hour of skipping rope that he did every day and he never interrupted that I went around and packed my bug out bag and I phoned my sister and said you need to pick me up you cannot be late and I never went back we will know when we are at that point of making a decision so when you are dealing with cancer when you're dealing with a relationship that you might need to leave or you might need to decide to stay and change yourself from within, you will know. But we need to spend enough time staying conscious and find the way to keep us conscious. Because it is so easy to slip into a repetition, a routine, a, a, and then the one day melts into another and another and another. And we find ourselves in the same position we were a few years ago and the unhappiness will slowly kill us. Mm. Find the place that energizes you, find the way that energizes you, decide to go after it with 
all your might. And you will find yourself on the other side of a door where the unknown can be the most delicious, most fragrant, most exciting thing you've ever taken on. Thank you. Oh, just wonderful. We must not forget to mention your uh, social media platforms and um, the contact. Where, where can people find you? Can you please tell us? I certainly can. I am Rusty Lehay on Instagram and I'm Rusty Lehay on LinkedIn. I have rustylehay.info for my writing website. And I am on Eventbrite as my an organizer. So what I've discovered about Eventbrite is so amazing. When I find courses that I like, I can follow that provider and just get the announcements. Oh, you might not want to miss what this provider is offering. And so there's a couple of people that now follow me. And as soon as I post something on there, they're registering. I love it. Brilliant. It makes it so easy. So on Eventbrite, I've got events that you can attend from anywhere in the world. I try to stack them in the daytime that will work pretty much anywhere in the world, except for Bombay and Dubai, because that's then their middle of the night. But it works for a couple of my writers in Australia, although they have to get up really early in the morning. It works for people in Europe, although they might need to stay up a little bit later in their evening. But I, I, I love Eventbrite for being able to tell people, find me there and Instagram. I post on Instagram when I have events, <clears throat> excuse me. And I've got my website, rustylehay.info. So there you go. You can find me in all sorts of places. And Rusty is really active around the globe. You name it. I've just checked and I've uh, listened to some of the testimonials. She is incredible. So go and find out for yourself. Well, can we mention for people that are, might be listening and not seeing my name in print that it's Rusty with an I, not a Y. So it's a name, not a condition. Yes. And is L-E-H-A-Y. Thank you. R-U-S-T-I-L-E-H-A-Y. And you can find me easily. Thank you again. Thank you for taking your time and all the wise words again, Rusty. It's been a pleasure having you. You are so very welcome. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, dear listeners, for taking the time. Stay tuned. Till next time, keep smiling. Melangela. Bye.